phone too. Okay, can you guys hear me? Am I coming through there? Okay, it's on. Huh? Nice to meet you. I'm Justin. How'd you find the book? I'm dying out of curiosity. 
I think he ordered it off of Amazon for me back a while back. Your your son. I did on uh, Audible. Yeah, I Audible it first, and then I'm, we're going to go back through it. Yes, yes, yes. But I mean, it's not one that just falls off the shelf. Okay. If you don't have a Bible, you will need one today. So there are some sitting out in the foyer there. If you don't have, like, take out your phone, whatever you prefer to use as an uh, as a resource in order to have the scriptures in front of you, you will need it today. You will need it today. There was also a handout that I prepared. Uh, by preparing, I mean I copy and pasted. It is just literally straight from the first chapter of the Westminster Confession, so um, which correlates with the London Baptist Confession. So we're going to get started here. Jeremy had them. I'm not entirely sure if they're if he has any extras or. If you, if you don't happen to have the, the paper that I ran off, then you can also just open your phone real quick and Google Westminster Confession and it'll pop right up, okay? All right, so let me start us out with a word of prayer here and then we're going to get started on a subject that is very important in our day, very important, all right. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come together. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to study your word. I pray, Lord, that this would be a beneficial time for those present. God, that we would all be challenged in different ways. Um, that we would see that your word is the standard by which all behavior, by which all laws are judged. And uh, God, I pray that you would show us Christ through that. That uh, we would kneel and submit before him, Lord, with grateful hearts for what has been accomplished on our behalf for those who believe. And uh, Lord, we just pray your blessing on our situation and circumstances, and we pray, pray your blessing on this class and on the preaching today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is the book that we are going to be going through, Confronting, social, uh, confronting Injustice Without Compromise <coughs> or Truth, and it says 12 questions... Christians should ask about social justice. So in order, uh, two reasons. We're not going to start in the book today. Lord willing, we will do that two weeks from now. Two reasons for that. One, I want to spend this week and next week uh, covering some presuppositions or some fundamental things that we need to uh, think about as we even approach this book. Okay, some things that are, I would say, are assumed here possibly and that we need to have as a first things, so to speak, before we get to this. This should also give you time to actually pick up the book and read it, <laughs> okay? Uh, you can stay hopefully ahead that way. So you've got two free weeks in order to get the book and start it. It's available on Audible, Amazon, and, and several other sites if you, if you want to come by it here. And then um, two weeks from today, it would be my intention to go through the introduction in the first chapter, okay? Just to give you an idea of where we're going. So... Um, First things. So what is the goal for today? First principles. First principles. The goal for today is to learn and think about first principles. Okay? Some are assumed in this book, but I wanted to put them up front. Well, why? Because my, my hope in going through this is not necessarily to teach you what to think, 
but how to think. Okay, how to think. And in order to make an argument, we have to think about what things we may or may not assume, okay, and, and what we're going to go through. So, introduction, uh, how we're going to think about this. How many of you have heard of the term presupposition? Okay, can someone give me a def- definition of what a presupposition is? Okay, assumptions that you make uh, based on your experience. Who else might have something to say there? And my mouth is quite dry given this weather, Um, so forgive me if I take multiple drinks during this teaching time here. Okay. So I think that's important. So facts or not. So a presupposition is not merely based on experience. It can be based on merely experience, or it can be based on what we would perceive as truth or fact, right? So, so we can have presuppositions that are correct, and we can have presuppositions that are faulty, okay? That, we have to kind of get that in our minds, okay? And that's why we're starting with what we're starting with today. So Merriam-Webster's Dictionary says uh, this about the term presupposition. It says, to suppose beforehand. That's the first thing that it says. And the next thing it says, which I like better, is to require as an antecedent in logic or fact. In other words, something you, you believe assume to be true based on experience or factual truth um, prior to a logical conclusion, prior to a place you are headed, prior to something you are trying to learn. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? So it, it is an antecedent. In other words, it's something that has to and always will come before whatever conclusions you are drawing about whatever it is you are talking about. It doesn't matter if it's mathematics, it doesn't matter if it's theology, it doesn't matter if it's politics, it doesn't matter if it's anything like that. Everything has presuppositions um, attached to it. For example, mathematics. Two plus two is four. Well, you assume that two actually means two, and two actually means two in order for it to equal four. Well, can you prove that? How do you know? Those are things that we we kind of have to think about. So this gets to a little bit deeper level of thinking here. This is why I want you guys to, hopefully in this class, um, you're going to be able to think a little bit more deeply about why you perceive and how you perceive the things that you actually do perceive. What are they based on? Why do you make decisions the way that you do? Why do you, when you hear the term social justice, what is your gut reaction to that? What informs that gut reaction? These are all the things that we have to consider as we go through this. So I'm going to try to point us today to God's Word. And that's going to be the fundamental presupposition of what we talk about, right? God's Word. So everything that we cover in this class that I teach you and that or anybody else who gets up here and teaches you to, during this class, the fundamental thing that we are going to go back to is what, what does God's Word say? What does God's Word say? Okay, you might imagine the idea of presupposition this way. How many of you have heard the uh, the phrase "rose-colored glasses"? Rose-colored glasses. Okay, so 
if I handed someone, let's use something other than rose-colored, if I handed one person a pair of red-tinted glasses and another person a pair of blue-tinted glasses, and then the third person had, a, had no glasses or had a pair of glasses which were completely clear, and I held up a sheet of paper, would each one of them be able to tell me the precise color of that paper? I see some heads, but somebody... No, no, they wouldn't, would they? And why is that? They have different lenses through which they are viewing things, okay? That, they are, that, that their perception is affected by the lenses that they naturally have. And so in order for us to evaluate the world in the way that we are supposed to do it, we need to go back to the creator of the world and put on the lenses which he has so graciously given us, and that is the word of God. And so that's what we're going to try to think about today. I know this may seem fundamental, but I promise you that you will be challenged in this lesson and the assumptions that we're going to make from this lesson as we go through the idea of social justice. Okay? So today, I, 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 so halfway, I do this sometimes. I was preparing this lesson. I've been writing notes for a while on this, but I was preparing this lesson this morning. I normally, on Sunday mornings, get up very early and put it all in a linear format that I like to teach after already having an outline done. Well, I scrapped that about halfway through. So I gave you the paper there, and this t subtitle to that says Sola Scriptura and the Sufficiency of Scripture. Mark that out. Today we are going to cover the necessity of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, and the sufficiency of Scripture, all of which assume Sola Scriptura, okay? All of which assume Sola Scriptura. So those are the three things we're going to cover. Those are, those are three of the four aspects of Scripture which theologians like to uh, define Scripture by. So there's necessity, authority, sufficiency, and then clarity. Clarity is very straightforward. It means that the Scriptures are clear and easy to understand in nearly all the places that they speak on things. There are a few obviously difficult passages, but we interpret those passages uh, that are difficult to interpret in light of the clear ones. We use those as our lenses, okay? So I'm not going to cover clarity today. We may hit on that, we're gonna, but we're just going to assume it, okay? What does necessity mean? What does necessity mean? What does necessity mean? If you hear the word necessity or necessary, what does that entail? Say it again. Something you, have to have. Something you have to have. Okay? Would would you all generally agree with that? Something you have to have. So if something is necessary, it is necessary. It must be so. Okay? It must be so. So let's look at that first uh, chapter one, section one, the Westminster Confession of Faith. There it says, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men unexcusable, yet they are not sufficient. So what is not sufficient? Nature by itself, right? To give the knowledge of God and his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth 
and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy unto writing which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. Being now ceased. Okay. Now, why is, why are the Scriptures necessary beyond natural revelation? Turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And this is where we start our Bible hopping here, so... I'm not going to have you turn to every passage that we go to, but I am going to have you turn to a few, just to illustrate the principle. So these also, also I could spend literally an entire two hours on each of these aspects of Scripture. So we're going to kind of do a flyover today because we want to get to the book, okay? As I promise, I'm, I, I can't take a year and a half to get through this. So Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. So this is a pretty familiar passage to us. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Okay. So what do we have in this passage? We have clearly that God does reveal himself. And how does he reveal himself? He reveals himself outside of Scripture. Okay. But what is that revelation outside of Scripture natural revelation, good for. What's the result of that natural revelation that they had? Where do these people end up? So they are without what? Excuse. And, ha- and whose wrath is revealed? God's. Against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So left to natural, left to natural revelation... We, are, we have enough revelation of God that is sufficient to condemn us. That's why this paragraph is in the Westminster Confession of Faith explaining the necessity of Scripture. That's why the necessity of Scripture comes first. Okay, Because without that revelation to us, we are left in our sins. Because we cannot derive from nature alone who Christ is, what his atonement accomplished for us, and those things. Jeremiah 17. Why why is this true? Why is this true? And this goes back to the fall. Why is this true? What is man like? Why is man condemned? Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. It's Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. 9 and 10 says this. I said through 8. I meant through 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things. This is where we're at 
And this is what natural revelation condemns. It says, and desperately sick, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Are you following with me so far? So because man is born in sin, because we are without God in the world as aliens from him, without regeneration, okay, without God, the Holy Spirit, acting upon our hearts, the nature or natural revelation or natural law, these are all interchangeable words, is only sufficient to condemn us. This makes Scripture necessary. Necessary. God had to reveal himself specifically to us. Okay? So the necessity of Scripture. The necessity of Scripture. Give you one more passage here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ is the word of God. So what does this passage show us is necessary for the true lenses? We have to have spiritual lenses. How are those spiritual lenses informed and taught and sharpened? How do you get the correct prescription for the lenses that you must wear? You must know and understand spiritual things. How do we do that? We go to the Word of God. Okay? We go to the Word of God. Every situation that you meet in your life, whether it be at work, in your own heart, in your own mind, in which no one can see but God, is and should be obedient to God's word. Must be, I should say, not is. Must be and should be obedient to God's word. Okay, must be and should be obedient to God's word. Any questions about necessity? Human nature and the fall, the loss of communion in the garden with God directly that Adam uh, purchased for us through his disobedience separated us from God, and therefore we need a direct revelation with him, or a direct revelation of him so that we can have communion with him. Okay? You following me so far? The scriptures are necessary. Okay? Are necessary. Can everybody understand the scriptures? No. Not everyone can understand the scriptures. That's why I read that passage in 2 Corinthians just now. The natural man cannot understand the scriptures, right? He is condemned in his own sin. That's why we read Romans chapter 1. Absolutely. Isaiah 51.7 says this in reference to what you just said, Gerald. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. What do they know? Righteousness. You people in whose heart is my law. You people in whose heart is my law. Okay? Well, what's God's law? It's his word. How do, what does that word inform? 
the knowledge of righteousness. You see how they're linked together? There's the promise of the new covenant evident in the old covenant right there. Everyone is saved the same way through regeneration and a new heart. In all of redemptive history. Okay? In all of redemptive history. Circumcision of the heart is a necessary thing for us to understand the scriptures. So, then what, what is necessary from this idea? Okay, this applies to us in terms of how we think about uh, social justice. Conversion and discipleship. Conversion and discipleship are necessary for true societal interaction and effects. Conversion and discipleship are necessary, okay, because of the nature of revelation. Do you see how it follows what I'm saying here? Conversion and discipleship are necessary to work toward social interaction, civic engagement, however you want to talk, talk about that, um, in order for that to actually have an effect. In other words, politics do not precede godliness. Godliness is prior to politics. Personal piety in your life and in your home are prior to politics. And how is that informed? What does personal piety look like? What does personal godliness look like? It looks like what God says in his word. Okay? So there is no hope of societal reformation without movement from the Spirit. And what I'm going to hope to impress upon you is that starts with God's church. It starts with individuals. It starts with family. It bleeds out to the church, and then it bleeds out to society. Okay? And that's what we're going to try to hit on today. But we have to talk about why, what's necessary in this. A necessary thing and component of this is re- reference to Scripture. Okay? Reference to Scripture. If God created the world, that means he created it to be in a certain way. If his word speaks about that way in which it should be, then it has authority necessarily from that. Natural law by itself is not sufficient for godliness. Okay? All right. Authority. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Everybody tracking so far? Does anybody have any questions? I want you guys to get this. Scripture is necessary. Okay, it's necessary to all of these talks about social justice. It is necessary. We have no standard without it. Okay, we have no standard without it. It's necessary for everything we do, by the way, and everything that it speaks to. But since we're talking about this specific topic, it is absolutely necessary to this. Okay. All right. Authority. Normally I have people read, but just so people can hear if they're listening, I'm going to read these passages of Scripture, okay, just so they can hear it. And, we ha- and so we have a, the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed or obey. I'm sorry, I'm reading out of the New King James here. I, I have it set on that. Uh, so if you have an ESV, just stick with me here. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, 
as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So how does this passage say that we should receive the Word of God? And why? How should we receive the Word of God and why? Who is this Word? Who, who is the source of this Word according to this passage? Say it louder there. God, God's the source, okay? God is the source. So let's go back up and read paragraph 4 there, or section 4 of the Westminster Confession. That's that second paragraph. The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any, of any man or church, but wholly upon God, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it is the Word of God. Do you see how that paragraph fits in with what this, this particular passage is trying to get across to you? It is to be received not because men wrote it down, but because it is the Word of God. He is the author of it. It is how He wanted it communicated to us. We are not free to play with the words and make them mean things that they are not supposed to mean. Okay, The authority and authorship from God assumes clarity as well. It assumes clarity. Notice the two things in this pa passage that are relevant to us. Inspiration by God himself, and that there is, therefore there is one correct interpretation. Not multiple. And it is not polemical, or, and it does not lack humility to say that other people are wrong. Notice that light and darkness are separated from one another in this passage. Can darkness exist when the lights are on? No, it assumes, it assumes a correct way of thinking. We are to strive for that. We are to strive for that. Yes, it takes work. Yes, sometimes there are particular passages that are difficult to understand. But that does not negate the Christian's responsibility to handle the Word of God accurately, to study, to pray, to seek godliness and righteousness in their life. Okay? <clears throat> Sorry for getting a little preachy. I can't help it. All right. So there is therefore one correct interpretation, right? We don't receive it in a manner of darkness, according to our own whims and thoughts, according to 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20, we receive it as the Word of God, as authoritative in our life because the Holy Spirit inspired it. Okay? What's an example of this? Well, Matthew chapter 4, Christ's temptation in the desert. How does he respond to the devil in the first temptation? How shall man live? Not by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. So that the word of God has authority. 
Authority means that it has power over. Power over. Not just some power over, full power over. Okay? Whether we submit to it or, or not, it stands on its own in its authority. Okay? Any questions about that? So, the scriptures are necessary and they are authoritative. Any questions about that? No questions? Clear as mud? So a little peek into why authority is relevant to social justice, because I'm going to try to help you understand why it might be, okay? Just a small glimpse. The primary means by which those who uh, propagate a worldly view of social justice is what's called standpoint epistemology. What does that mean? I'm going to break it down into really simple terms. It means that my experience dictates truth, okay? The lenses that I put on are my personal experiences as a homosexual, as an African-American, as a, a short person, as a tall person, as someone who feels like they should be a woman when they're a man. Whatever that is, my experience dictates the authority of my words. Well, that is false. That is plainly false. Okay? Plainly false. If your experience and feelings grate against push against the word of God, then you should repent. You are in sin. And it doesn't matter what feelings they are. It can be feelings of attraction to the same sex. It can be feelings of anxiety that are based on fear that is ungodly. Okay? It can. There that God's word informs all of the things in our lives, down to the very splitting of right, splitting of spirit and soul, according to Hebrews chapter four. So standpoint epistemology. Epistemology means that my experience dictates my truth. Dictates what is true. And if I believe something to be true, then it has authority, correct? Whether it actually has authority or not, I believe it has authority. Does that make sense? So, in other words, a person who... Uh, this is why people get so offended at the idea that uh, a man cannot be a woman, no matter how strongly they feel about it. For that person who believes that to be true, they believe that their feelings have authority. What I'm proposing is that God's word has authority, and if that authority of God's word undercuts your feelings, then your authority is not, not existent. Okay? Does that make sense? Is that a helpful explanation? Yes. Mm -hmm. Or do they think my experience should dictate your truth and everyone else's truth as well? Both. Oh, both? Yes. 
Because it's not, uh, so the question was, is, it, is a person who adheres to this sort of belief, even if they wouldn't maybe name it standpoint epistemology, but we're just calling it that because that's the philosophical term. It's the lenses, okay? These are the lenses that people wear. So just think of it that way. When I put on my lenses as a transgender person of whatever it might be, it's just the easiest example because it's the most blatant uh, in, in our society right now, in my opinion. There are lots of them, but that is uh, one that just seems to be constant. The, um, that person believes that their truth is their truth. In other words, my feelings dictate how I perceive truth, but you cannot disagree with me. Otherwise, you do harm to my person and my being because that is my truth. So they not only expect and believe that their truth is their truth, but you must support, uphold, encourage, and right along with them celebrate their truth. Does that make sense? They want you to wear not only the glasses that you have, but the glasses that they have. And if there's any contradiction in that, you are not only, you are not, think of it, you are not just in disagreement. You are literally undoing the fabric of their being because it's who they believe they are. That's why they get so offended at it. That's why it's such a big deal in our society. Does that make sense to everybody? Like it can't just be a small thing because we're not dealing with small things here. We are dealing with fundamental ideas of what it means to be a human being, of what it means to be created in the image of God, and all of those things. Any questions? Is that a helpful answer? It was very helpful. Okay. How do you, okay, so if someone totally denies what we just read in uh, 2 Peter 1, 19 through 20, that scripture has authority, um, and they are totally sold out to transgender thought or to standpoint epistemology in general, their lenses, their identity is found in something else other than the image of God, right, which is their true identity, how they were created. Um, how do you approach them? You call them to repentance. You stand up to them. You contradict them. You present to them the word without qualification. You don't have to do so meanly. You don't have to yell at them. You don't have to do any of those things. And then you leave the work to God because we are not responsible for regenerating men. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into differences between, because to me, this is an entirely another religion. This is, uh, this is a religion, okay? And so we'll talk about how there are priests within this religion, how there are laws that you cannot break within this religion, how there are sacrifices that must be made in this religion, okay? Certain types of penance, so to speak, that you must make in order to conform to this, this sort of belief system. We'll try to cover all that eventually, but today we're just trying to stay on the fundamentals because these are the lenses we have to have. But in a basic answer, call them to repentance. Do what Christ did. Call them to repentance. Call out their error. Do so with kindness. 
But don't do so with the supposed niceness as though you have to uphold their feelings as if there is any legitimate, any legitimacy to anything that they feel in that regard. There is no legitimacy to what they feel. This is where we start to compromise, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. You are not called and you are complicit if you are upholding those feelings in any way if they are contrary to the word of God. This is the standard. Okay, I'm not just saying this. God says this, they say this. If they're opposed, they're opposed. Light and darkness cannot coexist together. The work of God is regeneration. We leave that to him. Okay? It doesn't mean you have, again, you don't have to be mean. Our perception of meanness in this culture, I think, is skewed. We think that standing up for truth and being forthright is, is mean. You know, so. That is, Gerald. Amen. <laughs> All right. Sufficiency. Okay, any more questions? Because I need to get on to this last part. Sufficiency. Because this is the most neglected doctrine. And this is what's going to spring us into the next week. Sufficiency. Now I'll, I'll do my best here to hurry. Sufficiency. 2 Timothy, and I've read this passage at nauseum. At nauseum to the youth that I've been teaching for the last five, six years. So, 2 Timothy, but it never hurts to revisit it. Chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15, and 16, 15 through 17. Actually, it's just 16 and 17. I wrote it down incorrectly. If I start to include the previous verses, we're going to have to stay in here for another 40 minutes. So (laughs) we'll just do 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter uh, 1, section 6. The whole counsel of God, this Westminster Confession, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. This is the one we leave off. And life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or the traditions of men. Most Christians who have any conservative vertebra in their body, okay, would agree with man's salvation and faith. It's when we get to life how it applies to life that we fall short. We don't believe that the scriptures speak to the problems that we have. We ignore what the scriptures say about how you are to raise your children. We ignore what the scriptures say about how you are to speak to your mother, to your father. We ignore what the scriptures say about depression and about anxiety. We ignore what the scriptures say about identity, how, it, how the image of God precedes race, precedes sexual identity, okay? Precedes man, men and women. We ignore what the scriptures say about gender roles, that men are supposed to lead and provide and that women are supposed to manage the home. We ignore what the scriptures say in our life, period. 
The church is so guilty here. So guilty. I'm guilty. Okay? I'm guilty. I just quiver to think at some of the things that I thought early on in our marriage even about children and them being a burden and why that caused us to not have children for the first five years. I look back on that with regret and repentance, you know, because I bought into the evangelical lies of those things. So the typical evangelical lies of those things, I should say. First principles, Scripture is sufficient for all things to which it speaks. Notice, there are four things that it talks about in this passage. Teaching, we learn the standard. Reproof, we're disciplined by the standard, that is the Word of God. Correction, we follow the standard now because of the teaching and the correction. Training, we constantly pursue the standard. What does that produce? Every good work. Is, now how does this apply to social justice? Are godly laws a good work? They are. God requires them. Is punishment of evil a good work by the state? Yes, God requires them. But how can we as Christians ever expect the state to follow suit if we are not willing to submit to God's sufficient word in our own lives? getting preachy again. I can't help it. I'm sorry, guys. You all know me. So so what does the word every mean? Let's just look at the definition here. This is what Strong's Dictionary gives us as a definition. It says, says including all forms of declension. Declension is passing away. So it, it, it encompasses everything. Apparently a primary word, all, any, every, the whole, manner of means, always, any, daily, every, ever, as many as, thoroughly, whatsoever, whole, every good work. Every good work. These are the fundamental things for us to address social justice. Because we cannot stand on our own. Because if you appeal to any other standard besides the one who created all things and therefore has defined all that we think of and do and experience, then you have nothing to stand on except your own feelings, and you're no better than the person who, down the street who thinks that they are a boy if they're a girl or vice versa. You are committing the same treasonous sin against the Lord that they are. Thankfully, we have God our Savior, right? Thankfully, Christ died and fulfilled the law on our behalf. So what do we do? What do we do? What's my encouragement as we go into next week? Next week, we're going to cover tota scriptura and the general equity of the law. You need to read chapter 19 of the Westminster Confession. Okay? Chapter 19 of the Westminster Confession. Tota scriptura. Okay? And the general equity of the law. Tota scriptura and the general equity of the law. So what do we do? Matthew chapter 7. Verses uh, 24 through 27. This will be the last thing that we do here. And I'll give us a minute for questions and then we'll move on. Do you guys understand so far how this is fundamental? Why I bring this up before we even get into social justice? Okay, why do I even get up before we bring it, get into social justice? All right, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them 
will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. James tells us in the first chapter of of his epistle that God gives freely wisdom to those who ask of him on one condition, that we don't ask as a doubting man. That we don't ask as a doubting man. Pray the Lord would increase our faith, my faith, as we go through this. Pray the Lord would increase the faith of his church as a whole and that we would seek wisdom in the words of God because they are meant to define our reality, how we think, what we do, how we interact with others, how we love God and neighbor. The first and second table of the law, the two greatest commandments. Okay? Any questions? That's all I have right now. That's pretty good. It's 1016. Sure. Yeah, the book name, and again, Lord willing, we will hit this in two weeks, so that gives you time to get the book, right, and start reading it, and we'll do the introduction in the first chapter in two weeks. Next week, we'll do General Equity and Tota Scriptura. Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, okay, and says 12, the subtitle is 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice by Thaddeus J. Williams. So as we get into this, we're going to cover all the aspects of social justice. You're going to learn about biblical economics, biblical ideas of race, biblical ideas of sexuality, biblical ideas of parenting, biblical ideas of gender roles. We're going to cover it all, okay? So that that book covers it all, and we're going to use that as a springboard to kind of do that, okay? Any questions before we wrap up? And I'll pray for us. Okay. There, if you guys didn't hear that, there, there are some of these books that you can purchase out, uh, the books for the social justice stuff that we're covering out in the bookstore itself, if you want to pick one up. No questions? All right, let me end us in prayer here. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to come together. God, I pray that your truth would uh, just wash over us, Lord, that you would help us to uh, rely on what your word teaches in every area of life, myself included in this, Lord. Help us to... Uh, Examine our lives thoroughly according to the scriptures, God, and help us to repent and be lights into the world, all of us, God. Help your church to do this. Lord, I pray for the preaching today, God, that it would be administered with authority because your word has authority. I pray that it would land on open hearts and souls. God, uh, bring us closer to Christ and help us to live that way. In Jesus' name, amen.